Hello. Hello. Okay. It's weird to hear myself up here every time. Should I sit? I'm going to sit. I'm going to take it easy tonight. Today, tonight feels like a chill night, right? Like sleepy. All right. What's up, y'all? I am Matthew Vaughn. I am the ministry assistant around here. Um, as y'all have noticed, Eli is not here this evening. Um, so sort of putting in the backup, sort of the rush to the Prescott thing going on here. Is, it, is that too soon? Does anyone get that? Cooper Rush, Dak Prescott, Cooper Rush is... I mean, there's a hot take right there. But anyway, um, you know, jokes aside, it's like such a blessing to be here. I love getting to do this, getting to prepare, getting to bring a message. Um, it's always so much fun. Um, so uh, I'm just going to pray us in real quick, and then we'll get down to business. Um, so if you bow your heads and close your eyes. Um, dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you um, that we get to be here, um, that we get to gather together and worship you in this way. Um, I thank you for this moment of intimate worship. Um, and I ask that you would just help us to be focused, help me to be clear, help me to be, uh, help me to say what you have put on my heart well, um, and to express myself in a way that glorifies you. Um, I ask that you would just help us to learn what you have put in front of us uh, well tonight. And I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's talk about parking lots. Parking lots. Uh, there are these very special parking lots that I have come to uh, just hate. Um, I don't use that word lightly. I really don't like these parking lots. There's these parking lots with slanted parking spaces where you have to go one way in the parking lot. And so sometimes you go in these parking lots and there are people going the wrong way and you get in this situation where like you're face to face with someone and you're looking them directly in the eyes and you're like, okay, you're going to back up and they're thinking this guy's going to back up. And eventually you get to this point where you have to just kind of squeeze past each other. You almost hit like a parked car because these are made for one car. So there isn't enough room for two cars. Um, so you almost hit a parked car and there's just this like tension between the two of you. You get upset, you get frustrated with this other person. Um, and I feel like life can be that way. My glasses are creating a lot of glare. I feel like life can be that way sometimes where we get into these situations where we're going the wrong way and we know we're going the wrong way, but we're so set that we begin to push things around so that we can go the right way. Or we might not even be aware we're going the wrong way. Things keep coming up in our path and we're not sure why. We're not sure why these conflicts keep happening. And I don't want to you know, say that conflict is always our fault, but there is you know, a lot of that going around. Um, and so, you know, there's sort of this conflict of going the right way, finding what the right way is. Um, and often life can feel like a one-way road. And really it is. Uh, life is a one-way road. And so I want to talk about that idea, that there is a one way. That what is that proper way? Um, so let's go ahead and get to John 13, 33 through 14, 11. Let's see what is going on with that. So... John 13, 33, 14 through 11 should be back behind me. Um, if it isn't, yell at David. Um, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. 
Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time? You do not know me, Philip. The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Now, let's get some context here. Context is always important when studying the Bible. This is during the Last Supper. This is directly after Judas has left the room. Jesus begins to tell them what is about to happen. And in typical fashion, the, the, the disciples just aren't getting it. Like, they do not understand what Jesus is telling them. He is being very literal here, and they think he is speaking in riddles. Um, and so, you know, let's look at a very specific example of that. Let's look at Simon Peter here. Um, he's going in. He's like, I am ready. I'm going to tell Jesus, like, man, I can follow you. I'm going to die for you. Like, you... I'm about to die for you. G Peter is telling Jesus that he is going to die for him, fully misunderstanding the situation. Um, and I was talking with uh, one of my friends, Caleb Brana, before this. Um, we were sort of studying this together. And he pointed out something hilarious to me. Um, see, directly after this, Jesus shuts Peter down, right? Tells him that he's not going to die for him. He's going to deny him three times. And after that, Peter does not speak for the rest of this passage. Like, he does not talk. We don't see any more of Peter in, like, this passage. Because, you see, Peter knew that Jesus could see through him in that moment. And, like, I don't want to, you know, make any mistake. What Peter was saying wasn't necessarily an, a wrong thing to say. But it was because Peter was looking at what he could do for Jesus and not what Jesus was telling them he was about to do for them. And that's what happens when we try to do things our own way. Jesus might not be there to shut us down, but eventually, even if we are just trying to follow God in our own way, we're going to get it wrong. And that brings me to my first point. We don't know the way. We don't know the right way of doing things. Um, See, there's a, there's a common joke about, you know, uh, Christians, uh, young adult Christians in particular. Um, see, there's this idea, like, right, this guy goes to church on a Sunday, and he's like, all right, I'm at church. He sees this beautiful girl, sees her going into the children's ministry. He's like, all right going to go there. That's the place to be, clearly. Um, so he goes in there. He finds out that she's serving there. So he's like, oh, great. Perfect way to get to talk to her, show her I'm good with kids. Excellent idea. Um, but he gets assigned to a different class, so he doesn't get to talk to her. So then he's like, all right, well, I need to figure out a better way to do this. Um, the girl is also on the, minute, on the worship team. So he's like, all right, 
going to go join the worship team, leaves the children's ministry, gets assigned to a different service, still doesn't get to talk to her. Eventually, he finds out she's going on a mission trip, so he decides to go on that mission trip because that is a golden opportunity. And, uh, you know, while they're there, he gets to talk to her. At the end of the mission trip, he asks her out for coffee, and she's like, no, you've obviously just been following me everywhere I've been going. I'm not going to get coffee with you. See, our intentions for service might not always be, you know, that misguided, but side note, like, for y'all, for future reference, like some people can be like that, so be careful. Um, but, you know, like Peter, we can convince ourselves that we are serving for noble or selfless reasons. We can convince ourselves that we know the best way. And see, God knows that we don't know his plan. We cannot possibly know what his intent for our lives is. And so when we try to, you know, do what we can for God when we try to figure out what the best way to serve God for us is. Um, if God is not a factor in that like planning, then we're going to go the wrong way because as much good intentions or ideas or thoughts of what is best, God doesn't need any of that from us. What he needs is just submission because he knows that we need him infinitely more than he could ever possibly need us. Um, and the question is, why do we need him so much? Well, that's because he is the way. Um, more specifically, he is the way to salvation. Um, and that is an exclusive truth. This is a singular path to salvation. If you want to get grammatical with it, when Jesus calls himself the way, that means that there is one. It is a proper noun by itself exists. There is no other way to salvation. I'm saying that a lot because it's that important. There's this idea in the world today um, of universalism. Very briefly, universalism is the idea that salvation is just for everyone, um, or rather that anyone has it just by being alive. Um, and that is I mean, completely discounts the value of the, uh, you know, Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. Um, and also, you know, it doesn't make any sense because if you have to do nothing to get to heaven, then there is no point to all of this, um, what we're doing right here. You all could be, you know, out partying right now for all I care. Um, so, you know, just that idea of universalism is so false because of that. Um, but like salvation for us, it doesn't just mean forgiveness of sins. It means like a whole list of other things beneath that. And, you know, close to the top is satisfaction. Um, see, people who are not saved, someone who is not saved, will be trying to find their purpose. They will be searching for a means of fulfillment. They're searching for a job that's going to fulfill them. They're going to search for that guy or girl that makes them, like, get all teary-eyed and say, like, you complete me. Like, you know, they're looking for that person or they're looking for the Instagram reel that's going to earn them that 15 minutes of internet infamy. Um, like, they're searching for that. We're looking for that thing that's going to make us feel good. And the biggest lie the world will ever tell you is that it is possible, that you can fulfill yourselves, that money will make you happy, that these things are going to bring you what you want. Um, because... It's a lie for this very particular reason. You weren't made by money. Other people don't make you breathe. And Instagram did not give birth to you, all right? Like, you don't exist because of the things that you are searching for, right? So if you are searching for something that is reliant on you, then you are going to wind up disappointed, right? Like, because you yourself are not perfect. 
And so if your means of you know, satisfaction is not perfect, then you will never be fully satisfied. You will always be searching for the next means of satisfaction. You know, if a purpose can end, is it really a good purpose? Like if your purpose of living is fulfilled by the time you're 20 years old, then what's the point of the rest of your life? Like, do you just die after you fulfill your purpose at 20 years old? Like, what if your purpose is opening a door for someone? And then that's your whole meaning of life. You know, you just open doors. That's no way to live. That is an empty thing. Uh, to put it in the words of my friend Thomas Courtney, it is trying to fill a God-sized hole with a human-sized thing, right? There is this massive need in our lives that we cannot meet. Um, and even more than satisfaction, salvation is healing. Like we as humanity are broken. We are hurting. The world is full of chaos and anger. And from that chaos and anger comes even more hurt, right? Like we hurt more people because we are hurting. You know, you've heard the hurting people hurt people thing, right? Um, so like it, it has gotten to the point where it can be difficult to tell if someone who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian, right? Like if somebody who says, I'm a Christian, is actually walking the walk. And how do you know if someone is walking the walk? Like, what, how do we know what the marker of the way that Jesus calls himself is? Um, I'll tell you, it is not going to church every Sunday. It isn't serving in worship service. It isn't, you know, taking a lot of notes and making sure that they're all color-coded on a Wednesday night. It is love. The way is love. That is the easiest and most definite way to tell if someone is following Jesus. Uh, we look back at chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It says, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The true essence of Christianity is love. At the heart of everything is love. God saves us from our sinful desires and tendencies because he loves us. Uh, he demonstrates mercy because he loves us. He grants us the gifts that come from salvation because he loves us. And not just because he loves us, but because he himself is love. First uh, John 4.16 says, And we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Love is a part of God's divine nature. Um, the term used in the Bible whenever speaking about how God loves is agape. It is an all-encompassing love. It is a love that expects nothing in return. It is freely offered and comes at no price to us um, because if it did come at a price, we would not be able to buy it. Um, and a lot of the times, you know, we like... We look at this love and we say, well, if God loved us, then he wouldn't let bad things happen. If he loved us, then X. If he loved us, then Y. It is not because he loves us or because he doesn't love us that bad things happen. It is because sin exists that bad things happen. Evil is a result of our own mistakes. The initial mistake at the beginning of creation was not because God didn't love Adam and Eve enough. It was because they made their own choice. Um, and it was because he loved them enough to give them that choice, um, to give them the choice of whether or not to choose him. Um, but see, when we choose him, that means that we are choosing 
a whole framework, a whole like system that he has built specifically for our benefit, right? He created us with a specific framework in mind, and that involves certain commands and expectations. The question is, do we follow those because we have to, like as soon as we Christian or become a Christian, we've signed this like uh, legal document stating that for the rest of my life, I will not lie, I will not cheat, I will not steal, I will not murder, I will not commit adultery, like all of that stuff. Do we do that just because we have to? No, right, we do it because we love him, because that is a result of love. When you love someone, you want to do what will please them right? So if you love God, then you will do what pleases God. And if you don't love God, then you will do not do what pleases God. Um, Paul in Romans, when he's sort of going over this struggle, there's a very famous uh, and somewhat confusing bit of passage where he says, I do what I do not want to do. And like all of these do's um, and don't want to do's. But the essence of it is that Paul is in conflict with himself because there is a side of him that still is of the world, right? And then there is a side of him that loves God and loves doing what is good. And so these sides are constantly in conflict, but that is the truth of living as a Christian. You are going to be in conflict with yourself if you are trying to follow after God, because we are in here messed up. We're sinful. Um, so how do we, you know, how do we rectify all of that? How do we go before God in that way? Um, how do we approach God, you know, even though we love him, we keep messing up and we love him and we keep messing up. How do we like go between that? Um, it's about repentance, right? So there's this idea of repentance. You turn away from what is evil, you turn away from what is not good and you turn back toward God immediately after that sinful act because you hate the sin and you want to turn back to love. Um, and, you know, there's this thing, like his top command, right? His top command to us, the golden rule, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is his foremost command. His second is to love each other. Love is the essence of what we do as Christians. Um, but there's this thing in the world today of love being acceptance, right? Love is accepting people for who they are. Love is allowing people to do what is wrong. I can tell you very confidently, I know my parents love me not because they let me lie to them all the time or because they allowed me to, you know, spend my money on useless junk, but because they did not let me do that. They tried to guide me toward what was best for me, right? That is love at its truest form is wanting what's best for someone else and for us as the recipients of that love, doing what we can to please the person who is offering that love to us. Um, and if we're honest, if I'm being honest with you, like doing what is best for you will not look like what the world says is best for you nine times out of 10. Um, doing what is best for you will not look like pursuing that career you wanted or pursuing that guy that's really good looking or pursuing that girl that's really good looking. It's not going to look like that. Often it will look like the exact opposite. Um, and sometimes it'll look like the opposite of what you want. Uh, there's a very common saying, 
don't ask the Lord for what you need, ask him for what you want, because if you ask him for what you need, then you aren't getting what you want. Um, like, you know, we have to understand that God's love is so great, but also he created us, and so he knows what is best for us. The world did not create us. It doesn't provide our identity, and it does not provide our purpose, but God does. Um, and so God provides a means for us to fulfill that as well. Uh, so there's this, uh, this thing I heard recently um, on a Thursday night. Uh, it was like an illustration of God's love. Um, it says, someone asked God how much he loved them, and when he responded, he extended his arms and said this much. Um, and it's this beautiful idea that his love is so great that he sacrifices himself so that even when we don't do what pleases him, we are still able to return to him. Um, we are still able to accept that love, be recipients of that love, and eventually, when we reach heaven, dwell in that love for all of eternity, because love is eternal because God is eternal. Um, so, uh, yeah, just sort of closing out, I know this has been quick, sort of a whirlwind thing, um, but I want to go to John twenty-one fifteen through 19. Um, it says, when they had eaten breakfast... Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, son, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. I want to rest on those last two words there um, for a moment. Because for one thing, this whole thing, this whole three times Jesus asking, him, Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? This is Jesus redeeming Peter from his denial of Jesus. Like for each time that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus is now going back and redeeming Peter from that denial. He is accepting Peter back into his arms and at the end telling him that now he can follow him because before it was an act of selfish desire to prove his love to Jesus, right? To show like, this is, you know, how great of a guy I am. This is what I'm willing to do for you. Now it is an act of love of Peter saying, I love you, God. And so I am willing to die for you. I'm willing to die for the sake of your name. Um, and if you all know the story of Peter, uh, he eventually was crucified, but he insisted that he be crucified upside down so that he would not have the honor of dying the same way that Jesus did. Um, so, you know, I, I always shy away sort of, uh, you know, instinctively from being uh, extremely honest about the price of, you know, following after Jesus but I think it's always necessary to remind you guys that you're not following Jesus for your own benefit, right? Like, it's great that he saves us. Like, that is a beautiful thing. Like, I don't want to discount what God has done for us, but like, because there's literally no way to, but like, um, you know, what we do as Christians is not 
for us to be happy or to have a good quality of life or to, you know, live and get rich and, you know, die with a ton of money and, you know, like everything we've ever wanted. It is for God's glory, right? Like our salvation is about God. Our lives are about God. It is not about us. Um, and, you know, often we try to, uh, in the Western church, there is this thing where we talk about, you know, salvation. And we're like, come be saved. And then you get all this, like all this will be added onto you. Um, most of the things that are going to get added onto you are joy, peace, and, you know, like, that's, that's like the biggest stuff, right? Joy and peace. And those are huge gifts um, because those are what you need to live a satisfying life. Life is not satisfying because you have what you want, but because you have what you need. If you live from desire to desire, then your life is going to be empty. I want to impress that. Um, but yeah, so, you know, just bear that in mind, that idea that this is not about us. Our Christianity, our faith is not for our benefit. Um, it is for the kingdom of God and for his glory. Um, but that doesn't mean that there is not rest for us as his followers, right? That doesn't mean that there is not peace for us. Um, God promises uh, that those who are, all you who are burdened and weary, come, find, uh, come take up my yoke and follow me and you will find rest for your souls. For I am, uh, I am humble and, there's another word there, but you know, like that verse uh, is Jesus talking uh, during his Sermon on the Mount. It is like the idea that for us, rest is found in him. Um, for Christians, rest is found in him. Joy is found in him. That is what we need. Um, and so I want to welcome you all um, this evening. Just if you have been feeling burdened, if your friends have been walking away, if your family is, you know, if there's trouble at home, if there's stress in school, Jesus provides rest from that. His way is one of rest and peace for us, even as we walk these difficult paths that he's called us to. Um, and so, you know, I want to invite you all as we go into group time. We got 25-ish minutes um, of group time tonight. We kind of, we, we started a little earlier than we usually do. I ain't going to lie. Um, but, you know, like as we go into group time, just, you know, if you are feeling that burden, if you're feeling weary, if you're tired, if you need some rest, um, tell your leader. We can pray for those things and help you find those things in him. Um, because he's the only place where you will ever truly find them. Um, but yeah, so, you know, um, just going to go ahead and pray us out real quick. We'll do some announcements and then dismiss to group time. Um, dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity um, once more. Um, and I want to thank you for your love as well, for your all-encompassing love, the love that saves us, the love that redeems us, the love that gives us a better way to live um, and a way to follow after you. And I ask that you would just help us to be willing to give up what we need to find that love, um, to give up the illusion of control over our lives, to give up this idea that we can satisfy our own needs. Um, and I, I ask that you would just 
show us in a very real way that you are the one who satisfies us. Um, I just ask that you would help us to find rest in you this evening. Help us to have good discussions as we go into group time um, and help us to just know your peace, um, know the peace that passes all understanding. Uh, I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.